All right, it's really good to see everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, Tonight, uh, this is the first time in the seven, I think seven or eight years I've been coming here, this is the first time I've ever been here in December and got to actually like hang out with y'all when y'all had all your Christmas decorations up and everything. Um, So usually every year from November to December, I'm shut out. I don't get to see you guys until like January. And so it really is kind of a a privilege and a joy to be here uh, during uh, the month of December as we get ready to begin celebrating Christmas. Um, So uh, I have not been able to see you guys for the last seven years, but for about the last six years, um, every Christmas I'm invited to go out to the Chatham County Jail and do what is known as a Christmas program. And they'll allow different churches from around the communities and different pastors from around the community to go out and go to one of the dorms or two or three of the dorms out at the jail and do a, a Christmas program with the inmates. And for the first time in six years, I can't get into the prison because of COVID protocols. So we're going to switch it up tonight and we're going to do something a little different. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to present to you the Christmas program that I present out of the jails. And so basically what we're going to do tonight um, is kind of set up in the form of a worship service. And so um, we're going to, um, it's going to be some interaction between us. We're going to do some praying. Um, We're also going to sing. We're going to do some singing while we uh, do the message tonight. So uh, let me pass this uh, these pro- this program out to you. If you'll take one off of the top and one off of the bottom. One off of the top and one off of the bottom. One is going to have the program itself and the text that we're going to be using tonight. And the other one is going to have the music that we're going to be singing. And uh, I think y'all find it. You put it on the bottom. I think y'all find it. These songs are very familiar. And uh, so... Um, As you're passing those out, just some brief introduction. You know, um, Christmas uh, brings um, all kinds of uh, emotions. Christmas brings all kinds of feelings and hopes and aspirations and uh, fond memories and and many things. Um, My sister just sent me a text the other night. And uh, I can't tell you what we got because it's for my mom, and she's probably going to listen to this tonight uh, when I get home. I'm going to put it up on uh, a recording, and she'll probably hear it, so she can't know what we got her for Christmas. But needless to say, it will probably bring up some memories from her Christmas's past. And uh, I think my dad has been, uh, he's passed, I think it's been about five, six, seven years now. And uh, you know Christmas time when you lose loved ones is a hard time. It's a very hard time. Um, uh, my next door neighbor, her, her husband just passed, and uh, she's been dealing with um, uh, some severe depression and things like that during the Thanksgiving holidays. And so the holidays can be a good time, and it can be a sad time for some. It can be a time for memories. It can be a time for hopes and dreams and um, imaginations, which I'm not too big and fond of. Um, I cannot stand the elf thing. So if any of you parents do that with your kids, shame on you. Um, the whole wake up every morning and the little elf is doing some kind of funny prank or something. And I saw one the other night, uh, and it was a guy who had an elf bowing in front of a Bible. And it was like, teach your kids that Buddy Elf needs to teach the kids about Jesus. problem with that is Buddy Elf is an imaginary thing, just like Santa Claus and just like all the other stuff. And the reality is, why in the world would you want to even tie that in with your kid thinking about a, a make-believe elf? Because 
What's going to happen when he gets 18 or 20 years old? Well, God's going to be make-believe. His, all his friends are going to be telling that's not real. And the reality is, is that I can think of so many memories from my Christmases past. I can think of that significant other that meant so much to me that I spent too much money on to buy some kind of present to impress her. And the reality is we don't speak anymore. And the gift has probably been sent off to uh, a pawn shop or, uh, or, or something or other. You see what I mean? And so a lot of times the things that we set our hearts upon when it comes to holidays are temporary things. The, the the lights, they come up for a few months and then they're gone. The presents, the kids come in, they rip them all open and then in two weeks they're tired of them. They've lost their shoes, they've lost their clothes. And it, it's just, there's so much about Christmas that is temporary. It's just, it's, it don't last. And it's the same way with our emotions. When, when, we, when we seek to use a holiday like this to, to lift up our emotions, we can get a high from that. But with those highs come lows. And the reason I'm bringing all of that up is because Christmas is truly about Jesus. It's about the promise of God. Jesus is the promise of God. And we're going to try to to see that tonight because your relationships may fall apart. Your finances may fall apart. Your houses may fall apart. You may have a happy day, a sad day. You may have a happy holiday. You may have a... Uh, a disappointing time. Maybe being here, this will be a tough time for some of you during the holidays. But again, all of that is emotion and all of that is temporary. And what we are commanded to do as God's children is to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Set our hope upon Him. And not only should we be doing that, but we should be teaching our children the same. We should be teaching our families and our loved ones around us that this world is fading fast. And that if you set your effects upon this world, it will drop you on your head. But when you turn your eyes on Christ, when you think about the real reason why we celebrate at this time of the year, when we set our, our minds and our hearts and our hopes and our spirit upon the eternal God who created us, and loved us enough to come and die in our place. And to save us from sin and damnation. And to give us the greatest gift ever. Eternal life and hope beyond this world. When we start thinking about those things, then we are setting our affections and our life and our dreams and our hopes on that that is real. And doesn't fade away. The candles burn. The wicks will the food spoils. The stockings that are hung get stuck in the attic for another year. And all of that passes. But Jesus Christ is eternal. And He's our hope. He's, he's everything that we're supposed to set our affections on. And so, I, you'll, let me give you an example of what I mean by focusing on Him. So, <clears throat> there was a time in my life where I used to bash people about Christmas really bad. And I would say things like this. Well, you know that's just a pagan holiday and that that the Romans just stole a pagan holiday and replaced it, and, and now we're really just celebrating a pagan holiday, right? And, and I, I would fuss at people about celebrating Christmas. And then uh, I, I would, uh, I, my mom and my family 
Um, they go overboard. It's, it's all about the trees and it's about the lights and it's about the presents and it's about the gifts and it's about all of the fun. And the reality is, is that in both of those circumstances, whether I'm bashing people for celebrating it or celebrating it in a worldly way, either way I've lost the focus. Either way I've lost the focus. And the focus is supposed to be on Christ and Him crucified, buried, and resurrected. Because that empty grave over there is the greatest gift that has ever been given to mankind because we have a hope that exceeds all that this world could ever offer. And so if you'll look with me at our Christmas program, um, we're going to start with a call to worship. So if you will um, take your your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to look at verse 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So, as we begin to turn our eyes away from this world, to turn our eyes away from our personal battles that we're dealing with right now, to turn our eyes away from worrying about our families and our friends and what they're doing, and turn our eyes away from uh, missed opportunities and regrets, turn our eyes away from speculations about what tomorrow is going to bring us. We, we come now to the Scriptures, to His Word. Let's focus on Him and think about what we see here in this this passage from Isaiah. Look really quickly back at Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee, of the Gentiles. Have you ever heard that word Galilee before? Right? The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them and you shall multiply the nations. You shall increase their gladness and they will be glad in your presence. What's happening? The world is full of darkness and gloom and what's this telling us is going to happen? This great light is going to shine. And then we go over to 6 and what do we see? We see that His name will be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Think about that. Isaiah is living centuries before Jesus is ever born. And what are we already seeing? We're already seeing that one day in a place called Galilee, a great light is going to shine. And that great light is going to bring light to a dark and gloomy world. And that's what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus, the light of the world, shining in dark places and bringing light where there was sadness and gloom. I pray today that that's happened in your heart. I pray that the Holy Spirit has convicted you of your sins and your your shortcomings your guilt and pointed you to our Savior and what He did on that cross so that you could 
uh, turn from the darkness and turn to his marvelous light and know a hope that this world will never give you. If you will, we're going to open with a hymn. O come all ye faithful. scriptures, I want you to think about those words that are in bold print there. The word of the Father now in flesh appearing. Oh come let us adore Him. Oh come let us adore Him. Oh come let us adore Him. Christ 
the Lord. Word of the Father, now in flesh appear me. How about this? The promise of God became a man to save us. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Christ the Lord. It breaks my heart to think of all of the self-indulgence at this time of the year and all the personal gratification and all the pride and the egos and all of the loneliness and all of the bitterness. All the guilt and shame. When we're celebrating the one who come to save us from all of that. Jesus. Word of the Father. Now in flesh appearing. What does it say in John 1? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's all about the promise of God. And that's what we're celebrating. Because God never breaks His promise. We're going to open with a word of prayer. And then at the end of our prayer, I'm going to ask you to join with me in the Lord's Prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for all that You do for us. We recognize that in our shallowness and in our our fallenness and in our brokenness and We so often forget you. We so often forget you, Jesus, our Savior. The one who came and humbled yourself. And became like us so that we could know what it is to be like you. We pray that as this time of fellowship and this time of study and this time of worship uh, takes place. That you, Holy Spirit, will be with us. And that you will cause us to forget the past and to think about the now and to think about the future. A now and a future that we have because of you and because of your love for us and because of your promise. So Lord, please hear us when we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to uh, quote the Apostles' Creed with me. Um, The Creed is not from the Bible. But it is a summation of what we believe as Christians. And by quoting it, we are joining together with, with um, our brothers and sisters from the past who have confessed the same confession. These are the, the tenets of our faith. These are what we believe. And we believe them because they are a gift from God. And so I ask you, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. 
third day he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen.
Jesus Christ. Jesus meaning Savior, and Christ meaning the Anointed One. The One appointed by the Father to come to do what He did. What we'll do now is we're going to turn to the book of Matthew, and I'm going to read a text with you. And as we read through this text, you'll notice that I have some things emboldened. And uh, we're going to read through the text and kind of talk a little about the birth of Christ and what it means. This would be Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 223. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, translated meaning God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king... They went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with a great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, 
and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up to take the child and his mother while it was still night, and they left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then when Herod saw that they had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping a great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. And she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. So this is one of the the main accounts of the birth of Jesus. Um, but one of the other ones would be in the book of Luke if you want to take some time and read that later on um i want to start at the very beginning the birth of jesus was as follows it said that joseph uh was betrothed to mary his wife now we know that at that time the custom was that uh the the uh, wedding would be arranged and the husband would basically i do and she i do and so they're betrothed and a betrothal period would usually last a year it would be so basically um that they would settle on an agreement that they were going to get married, and then for one whole year they would separate and they wouldn't see one another. Now, that's not how it works nowadays, but that's the way it worked back then. And so what would have been taking place in that year that they were apart was Joseph would have been responsible to build a home for his wife, uh, to prepare a place for her. And so generally... Uh, a lot of times it would be connected on to his, his people's land or, or house. But he would build a home for his wife, and then after a year of betrothal, then he would come and he would, they would have a, a wedding feast, and they would have a big party. It would last for, depending on how rich you were, it would last for a while. And after that was over, he would take his wife and carry her into his new home, and they would be husband and wife. They would consummate the marriage and live happily ever 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 after so it would see um if any of you remember the story of um jesus's first miracle which was what turning water into wine if you remember um they ran out of wine at that party and what you have to remember is this husband had a whole year to prepare for this party and to run out of wine would have been an embarrassment because it would have been a reflection on the husband what would the reflection have been that he would not be able to provide for his wife. You see, it would have been an embarrassment. So the the miracle actually bailed this guy out of a really embarrassing situation. But so it doesn't take rocket science to see what the problem is here. 
Mary is with child, and her and Joseph have not been anywhere around each other, and so of course Joseph is going to immediately um, think that she is uh, she's cheated on him. But the angel comes to him and warns him. Now I, I want you to remember where it says she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that so important? Because if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, if you want to turn there, you can. If you, if you, don't, you don't have to if you don't want to. I'm going to read that text for you really quick. Genesis 3.15, Adam and Eve had just fallen. They had just eaten the fruit, and they are being confronted by God. And God tells the serpent, <clears throat> He says, uh, I will put a hatred, I will put an enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed... And her seed, and he will bruise you on the head, and you will bruise him on the heel. So, Adam and Eve have fallen into sin. They've brought darkness into the world. They've brought death and destruction into the world. Now God is confronting the devil and Adam and Eve and putting a curse on all of them. And what does the curse entail to the devil? He said, devil, one day the woman is going to have a baby who is going to crush your head. You will bruise his heel, but he is going to crush your head. Now, how does a, saint, how does a serpent bruise a heel? Biting. Biting, yeah, that's exactly right. So, uh, so what is the point that God is making with the serpent? One day, by the woman's seed, a child is going to be born and it's going to crush your head. Well, what is the difference in a woman's seed and every one of us in this room in the way that we've been born? Yeah, we're all of a man's seed. That's just the way that it works. You see? So all the way back in Genesis, what is God doing? He's promising that one day a woman is going to have a baby that's going to get that devil. You see? And as you read all through the Bible, from Genesis all the way through to, to uh, Silent Night, a, a, a little town of Bethlehem, when we get to that point, God is making sure that the promise that He made is being fulfilled. That that woman did have a baby, and that baby is going to crush. Actually, he already has. He has crushed the servant's head. The devil is still roaming around, roaring like a, a lion, seeking who he can devour. But he's really like a serpent with a crushed head that's just wiggling around. It's just like nerve reactions, you know. This is the, uh, he, he's dying. God has crushed his head, and so he's taken the sting away. He's taken that sting of death and sin away for those who trust in Christ. But I want you to think about that. Jesus was born in a way that none of us were. Jesus was born supernaturally, if you will. He, the Holy Spirit placed Him inside of Mary's womb. It was a supernatural act, wasn't it? And not only was that promise made way back then, but think about things like Isaac. Do you all remember how Isaac was born? Abraham and Sarah. She was old, she was yeah, she was 90 years. She was beyond the age of women, wasn't she? Uh, of women giving birth. And, and Abraham was almost 100 years old. And what happened? They had a child. Right? And it was a supernatural act, wasn't it? It was God saying, you're not going to do it in your strength. Remember what happened when Abraham tried to do it in his strength? What happened? Ishmael, Ishmael and Hagar. That's exactly right. It was a mess. It was a train wreck. And it's caused dysfunction throughout history now. Well, 
The same thing happens with me and you. When we try to do things in our natural uh, strength, we usually fall on our face, do we not? And the reality is, what did Jesus tell Nicodemus? In order to go to heaven, you must be what? Born again, right? There has to be a new seed within you. There has to be a new life within you. It can't be from a man. It can't be something that your parents pass on to you or your priest or your preacher or your best friend. The new birth is a supernatural act that takes place for those that the Holy Spirit reaches out to and saves. And so it's not... It's not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And if you are in this room today, you have an eternal promise from God. And it's a supernatural promise. It's not because of anything that you did. It's because of what God has done. It's because God fulfilled His promise through His Son. His Son died on that cross and paid for every sin that you've ever committed. The ones you committed yesterday, the ones you committed today, and the ones you're going to commit tomorrow. He not only died to pay for all of your guilt, but He also walked a walk that you couldn't walk. And He shared that gift of righteousness with you. And if you have that gift today, it's because God keeps His promise. But remember, all through scriptures, we're seeing this story about how God always keeps his promises. As you go down in our passage here, Joseph wakes up from the, the warning from the angel and he, he obeys. He obeys. But what happens? Mary is with child and the king, King Herod, finds out that a king has been born in Israel. And so what is Herod's first reaction when he finds out that this king has been born? What is, the, what is he going to do? For what? He said he told the he told the Magi, the wise men, he said, Go find him so that I can come and worship him too. Yeah, but he wasn't no, he wasn't gonna worship him. What was he gonna do? He was gonna kill him. That's exactly right. You know why? Because he was inspired by Satan. And what is Satan trying to do? He's trying to disprove the promise of God. So what did Herod do? He killed all the baby boys. All in the land. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, Pharaoh tried to do the same thing, didn't he? Because you see, all through history, the devil knew that that promised one was coming. He didn't know who he was, did he? He didn't know who it was, so what's his goal? Just kill them all. If I can kill all the little baby boys, then this promise won't come along. This woman's baby won't come and crush my head. And so all through the Scriptures, as you read... The evil one, Satan, the dragon, has been trying to do what? Swallow up the promised one. Trying to wipe out, to abolish the promise of God. And did it work? No. And so think about what did Joseph and Mary have to do? They had to flee from their home and go where? Egypt. To Egypt. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that was exactly what Jacob and his family had to do, wasn't it? That's what Joseph did. Joseph was the, the child that went down there to preserve a place for them, didn't he? And so after 400 years, what did God do? He called his children out of Egypt and brought them back where? To the promised land. And the reality is, all of that was a foreshadowing of what the real promise was. And what was the real promise? Jesus. So those people were a living 
forecast, a living prophecy, the Israelites and going down into Egypt and living there for 400 years and coming out of there and coming and claiming the promised land. What was literally a a living prophecy of what the real promise was going to look like when it comes. The eternal promise. Jesus. And so as you read your Bible, you start seeing this beautiful story unfold. That through broken and busted men and women, some wicked, some evil, some good, some kind, but all fallen and broken in sin, all selfish and uh, misguided and misdirected and self-willed and self-righteous and self-sufficient. God's taken all of this, this mess of a people and making sure that His story comes through. Making sure that His promise comes to fruition. And you know what? It did, didn't it? Why? Because God always keeps His promise. And we have to remember that that promise is eternal and it's never going to fade away. And that promise is based on His Son. And that promise is based on His Word and on His truth. And if you notice all of those bold texts that I I gave you there and what we've been reading tonight, all of those were prophecies. Some of them took place... Four, five, six, seven hundred years before Jesus was ever born. To say he was going to be born in a place called Galilee. To say that he was going to be born of a virgin. Think about all of the things that had to unfold in order for that those prophecies to come to fruition. Think about all of the logistical just all of the mess that had to take place in order for it to fall into place. Mary had to get pregnant. They had to go to Egypt. They had to stay there long enough for Herod to kill all of those babies and then it was safer than to come back to land. When they got back there, uh, they were going to settle back in, in uh, Bethlehem. You know? But what happened? Oh, the king's son is still alive. Maybe he wants to kill us. We're a little nervous. Why don't we go stay in a place called Galilee? That would be safe enough, a safe place. And so Joseph takes his wife. They're warned by the angel to go stay there. But there's a reason why they go and live there, isn't there? Why? Because remember that prophecy? There was going to light was going to shine out of. Yeah, remember. And so everything that you read through the scriptures is God's promise being expressed and God's promise being fulfilled, and that promise is consummated in Jesus is consummated in what we celebrate at this time of the year. The birth of our Savior. And the beauty of it is the promise doesn't just stop with Jesus, does it? Because He came and died on a cross for His promised children. And if you're in this room today and you are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, the reason you are is because you are a child of His promise. And God don't break those promises. Now, if you're in this room today and you do not know Him as Savior, but your desire is to know Him as Savior, then more than likely it's because His promise is working in your life. And what does He want you to do? He wants you to turn from sin and self. He wants you to turn from your brokenness and your shame and your sorrow. 
He wants you to let go of this world and turn to the eternal promise of His kingdom. He wants you to realize that His Son died on a cross to save a broken man or woman like you. He wants you to come and receive the greatest gift that was ever given. So, I pray that during this holiday season, as you look at the lights around you in this room, that you will remember that all of these lights are going to go away. But the light of the world remains forever. He is the light of the world. And every time that you turn and look at that tree, I want you to think about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve and their self-will and self-sufficiency and self-righteousness going and grabbing a gift out of it for their own desire and their own needs. And then bringing shame and sorrow and brokenness to them. But I also want you to think of the tree called the cross. And Jesus with his arms spread on it saying, Come unto me all you that are broken and labored and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke for it's easy and light. And that promise is there for anyone who will receive it. So I pray for you that that you know Him. And I pray that your families know Him. And I pray that you do enjoy your Christmas season. I'm not so much of a Scrooge that I don't want people to enjoy Christmas. But my prayer is that you will focus on what Christmas is really about. And what is it really about? The Word of the Father. Now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Christ the Lord. We'll close with a song, and then I want to give you a benediction, and we'll call it a night. Okay, turn with me, if you will, uh, to uh, Joy to the World.
stand if you will. I'd like to share a benediction with you and then we'll close with a prayer. Turn to the book of Philippians. Chapter 4 and verse 7. May the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this time of, of sharing and worship and singing praises to you. Thank you for a chance to study your truth, to study your word. Thank you for keeping your promises. Lord, I pray for each and every man in this room, every woman in this room, that they do know you as Lord and Savior. And if there be someone here today, Lord, who has never trusted you, my prayer is that you would open their heart and show them your grace and mercy. Please be with the families of those represented here as we go through this holiday season. And Lord, with the world falling apart around us, I pray that you will draw our eyes to you and help us to know you more and more. Help us to know your peace, a peace that this world will never give. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.